Welcome to Coffin Cast Episode 2. My name is Kristen, and this week's episode is entitled, Ma'am, I'm Still Here. So first of all, if this is your first episode, welcome. Come on in. Put your feet up. Get comfy. I would suggest listening to the mini episode at the beginning and also listening to last week's episode just to get an idea of what you're in for, if this is something that's going to work for you. Because with a name like Coffin Cast, you know it's not going to be kittens and puppies and angel kisses and rainbows and sparkles and glitter and unicorns. You know that. That's probably why you're here. Also, I'm not a professional. There's going to be weird breaths. There's going to be ums. There's going to be mispronunciation of words. I still cannot pronounce asphyxiation without taking the time to think about it. That's not something that's going to come with practice, I don't think. Either way, just keep that in mind as you're listening. I'm doing my best. Hopefully it'll get better. Also, if this is your second episode with us, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. It means a lot. I love you. Don't change. So, as we're getting into this... <laughs> I had to re-record the opener. I tend to do these episodes in chronological order just to keep everything straight in my brain. It's how I, I operate. But I ended up having to re-record this opener. By the time I was done recording everything, doing all the research, what have you, I was exhausted. Physically, mentally, spiritually. I'm, I'm a little broken today anyway. I'm on a pain pill, I'm on a muscle relaxer, I've been crying all morning. It, it's a mess, guys, but hopefully that makes things more fun. Whatever. So I felt the need to re-record it and kind of say, you know, this this one's this one's a toughie. It's, it's a doozy. So keep that in mind as you're listening. I hope that my exhaustion and my being worn out does not translate into you being exhausted and worn out by the time you're done listening and you don't want to listen to me ever again. I hope that doesn't happen. I promise it'll get better. (laughs) Um, How I came across this story, um, my day job is a pretty slow one. I have a lot of time on my hands. I can listen to things listen to podcasts, listen to music, sometimes watch Netflix, don't tell my boss, um, or YouTube, and I sometimes, you know, I have a podcast called Coffin Cast About Death, so sometimes I listen or watch things that are, you know, a little on the disturbing side. On YouTube, there are channels dedicated to 911 calls, and I will listen to them. I don't particularly get disturbed by them. I don't know if it's because I'm safe in an office and my life is sheltered. I haven't been exposed to a lot of tragedy in my life. But I've been watching things and reading things since a very young age about, you know, tragedies and deaths and... I don't know why I'm not wired to be disturbed by it. I should be. I feel like I should be. I get a little bit of an adrenaline rush, but I don't get disturbed, as it were. So when I came across this one, it started out like a regular call. I was like, why is this on a disturbing 911 calls list? Let's just say by the end of it, I got it. I totally got it. I had my mouth agape 
I had tears welling in my eyes. I had, my heart was, you know, beating fast. I, I got it. So I just want to put that out there. It's disturbing. It's a rough one. Also, this is very different than last week's episode. There's not a murder. Surprise, surprise. This is not about a murder. It's not about somebody famous. It's not about a suicide. There's no abusive lover. There's no ex hellbent on revenge. But this story didn't need to happen. I don't need to be doing a podcast on this particular story right now. It, it didn't need to happen, and it's infuriating that it did. And when I go through it, you'll kind of get it a little bit more. If you end up listening to the 911 call, you'll totally understand what I'm saying. Not going to force that on you, but it puts things into context quite a bit. So with all that blabbing, all that verbal diarrhea, I would like to introduce you to Loretta Picard. so I have some basic information on Loretta Picard Um, I didn't have a lot last week on Silling Man for some reason being that she was a young lady you'd think there would be a lot but there wasn't but Loretta has a lot of information online about her Uh, she was born November 28 1941 in Paris Illinois she passed away five days shy of her 77th birthday on November 23rd 2018 She had a log cabin in Lakeland, Florida. She lived a long life, had two children, and was married to James Picard at the time of her death. I want to reiterate before I begin that Loretta was not murdered. She was like anyone's mother, anyone's grandmother, anyone's aunt. She had a Facebook page. It was set to private, so I didn't get to see anything on it. There's a lovely picture of, um, I believe, her and her husband hugging each other on Christmas, it looks like. Their backs to the camera, but it was a sweet picture. Um, as I do in every episode, I want to find out as much about the person themselves without delving into news articles, as they always have the taint of what happened to them. So that's why I was looking for Facebook or something. Um, I wasn't trying to be stalkerish, but I just, I want to know who they were. They deserve that. The best I can really offer is from a news article, unfortunately, but it was from her sister, Linda Weckel. She was a fun, loving, lovable person. Everybody loved her. I mean, there wasn't anybody who didn't love Loretta. So before I begin to go into the incident, I want to remind you that I will not be playing the 911 call. A, I don't know the legality of it. I don't want to get sued. I believe it's public information, but I don't know that for sure. B, I don't want to force the 911 call on you. I want you to decide for for yourself if it's something that you would like to hear. I don't want this podcast to become something salacious or gratuitous or overly shocking. It should be shocking, but I don't want to just be shock, 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 horror, horror, horror. So just keep that in mind I will have a link on my Twitter to force you to go to my Twitter and follow me nudge nudge Um, 
I will have a link there so you can decide if it's something you want to hear. I do think that it's beneficial to the story to hear it because you get the emotion, you get the real time, you know, time frame of what's going on. So it's helpful, but it's also very disturbing. So that's up to you if you want to hear it. So on the night of November 23rd, Loretta Picard was home alone. Her husband was at a ball game and she was recovering from hip surgery and it made it difficult for her to move around. She said at one point that she tended to just stick to her chair. She would get up to go to the bathroom, but she would use a walker and she was pretty slow as far as that goes. She called 911 because she thought her house was on fire. She didn't really specify why she thought this. It could have been that she smelled burning, what have you. But at this point, you don't hear her voice affected by smoke. You don't hear flames in the background. And she seemed to be pretty calm. You know, she seemed to be pretty collected, you know, in her right mind and everything. But within a moment of the usual 911 greeting, you know, what's the address of your emergency, what have you, she goes, oh, hurry. Like, it's setting in what's going on. The 911 operator assured her that any questions she asked would not delay firefighters. Loretta believed that the fire was in her roof, but she couldn't see flames at that point. And she said, are they coming? The 911 operator assured her once again that any questions would not delay the help and they were on their way. Loretta seemed to calm a little bit and the 911 operator began to ask her a few questions, the usual stuff. She asked her how many floors were in the residence, and Mrs. Picard said, there's one, but we have an attic. Her voice began to quiver, and she suddenly says, what am I supposed to do? The operator kind of went on with more questions, kind of ignoring that question there. The, you know, the most important question, what is she supposed to do? She ignored it. She goes, is anyone trapped in the building? I am. We're two minutes into the call, and just now, it's beginning to be apparent that Mrs. Picard is trapped in her home and she needs help getting out. Two minutes into the call. The operator is just now realizing this. Mrs. Picard starts to cry. You can hear a little bit of a cry in her voice and she goes, I don't even know if I can get out. Once again, she is assured that the firefighters are on their way. So as the call goes on, the 911 operator asks her a super vague question. She says, how many? I would have hesitated. Mrs. Picard, of course, hesitated and said, uh, and then she finally just said, it's just me. You know, she reminds her yet again, she's home alone. She said she's tried to get her husband on a cell and she's not able to get a hold of him. At this point, the 911 operator asks her where in the home she's located. And she let her know that she was in the living room but that the smoke was starting to get bad. You can hear her breath getting heavier. You can hear her words kind of strained as she speaks. So the smoke is definitely starting to affect her. The operator tells her that she needs to leave the building and get as far away as she can. Loretta replies, I couldn't right now, honey, if I wanted to. So here I kind of want to pause the story and give my two cents. You know, we can only speculate what was going on in Mrs. Picard's head at this point. 
you know, I've been injured, not in the same way, of course, but I've been injured to the point where I couldn't walk. I was on crutches. It hurt to walk. I would like to think that I would do anything to save my life, even if it meant re-injuring myself. I'd rather have my life than worry about an injury. That's just me. Also, I feel like she, at this point, didn't know how serious it was. She thought probably that the nine the 911 operator has already called, you know, the firefighters. They've already been dispatched. They're on their way. They're very close by, probably. And somebody would come in, lift her up, and she'd be whisked away, and she would be fine. She probably didn't realize how bad it was getting, because she couldn't see flames. She thought she'd be... She thought that this phone call would end with her being saved. Also, I kind of... I'm a mother. I have a mother. I have a grandmother. I know how we can be. We can be kind of self-sacrificing at times. I don't understand why she was home alone. If she couldn't move, why was someone not with her? Why was her husband at a baseball game? Why didn't he have a cell phone on him? Why didn't a family member stay behind? Why didn't a neighbor check up on her? I get how mothers are. We were martyrs, for lack of a better word. We'll say, you know, no, it's fine. I'll be fine. I'll just have my TV on. I'll be fine. You just go to the game. Everything will be okay. Nothing will happen. I don't blame her family at all. I think we as women need to stop, you know, sacrificing ourselves just to not put anybody out. If we have a problem, we need to start saying stuff. We need to let people know we need somebody there with us. So I don't blame her family. I don't blame her. It's how we are. I don't blame anybody in this case. I just... I feel like she should have had somebody there with her. So that's the end of that. You know, I'm sure she just didn't realize this was going to happen to her. Nobody realizes these things can happen to them. And also, she probably just thought it wasn't a big deal. The fire wasn't that bad. She couldn't see flames. She would have been okay. But let's get back to the story. We are three minutes into the phone call at this point. The operator asks her if anyone is injured in the home. Mrs. Picard has told her several times that she is alone. She has also told her her limitations. She's on a walker. She's immobile. She just had surgery. Her voice is beginning to get strained. She's starting to cough. The smoke is starting to get to her. Mrs. Picard tells her that her eyes are starting to burn and she begins to cry just a slight bit. You can kind of hear a quiver in her voice. And she kind of desperately says, they can get to me through my front door or my back door. The house is pretty small based on the pictures I've seen. It should have been pretty easy to get to her, but the fire trucks aren't there yet. So the panic starts to set in. You can hear her weeping more openly now her voice is quivering and she's starting to breathe heavily and gasp for air there's silence on the other end save for a bit of typing but the 911 operator reminds her and reassures her that she will stay with her until the firefighters get there 
once more, she tries to persuade Mrs. Picard to leave. She asks her to get low on the floor, you know, because, like, we learned in elementary school, smoke rises, stop, drop, and roll. Crawl on the floor to get out. Mrs. Picard obviously can't do that. She tells her that the lowest she can get is to sit on her walker. Very shortly thereafter, at 4 minutes and 29 seconds in, Mrs. Picard cries out. Something has hit her leg. The 911 operator asks her, what happened? What happened? Mrs. Picard believes that a drop of water from her roof has hit her leg. So that tells me one of two things. She either believes that they're starting to fight the fire and they're there, and she just didn't realize it, or that the structure of the home is starting to become compromised and there might have been a, a leak in her attic now, a pipe burst, what have you. But the house is starting to deteriorate. She apologizes for panicking, which... Who wouldn't be panicking at this point? She says she feels like a baby. She, she was so brave and so calm throughout this call. I would not have been an, even half as composed as she would. She was, excuse me. I would probably be weeping the whole time through, screaming for somebody to help me. But she's, for the most part, there's, there's points where she's not. But for the most part, she's cool as a cucumber. The 911 operator reassures her and is very empathetic, which good on her for that. She says it's totally understandable. And she reminds her that she's there with her. She says she will check also how far out the firefighters are. There's not, that's not visited again in this phone call. She also said, you know, she sends a lot of reassurances her way for a while before the operator says, I just want to give you an update on what's going on. It's kind of weird because when she says that, there is nothing following it. She does not give her an update. She just kind of stops there. We're going to fast forward in the call now um, because a lot of silence was going on. A lot of the same reassurances. I don't want to be repetitive, so we're just going to move on a little bit. At eight minutes in, she says she still doesn't see flames. She can hear noises on the roof, and smoke is beginning to fill the house, but nothing more at this point. There is breathing for a minute in silence before the operator reminds her, Ma'am, I'm still here. This happens a few times, silence, then reassurances, before she starts coughing. The 911 operator asks if she can get a towel and wet it and put it over her face to keep the smoke from getting into her lungs. She says she can't get up to get it. She says she can't use her walker because she has a phone in one hand and she needs both to use her walker. The operator asks if she can put her on speakerphone, but Mrs. Picard doesn't know how to do that. It's at this point she interjects and says she thinks she can hear the sirens. We are now 12 minutes into the call. hear a slight laugh in Mrs. Picard's voice as she realizes now she's going to be saved. There's quiet for about 30 seconds before she says she can hear them, but she doesn't see them. She starts to breathe deeper and she begs them to come on. Her voice is starting to grow halting. The smoke is beginning to definitely affect her. The 911 operator asks for her neighbor, nearest neighbor's number 
their name. For what purpose, I'm not sure. Mrs. Picard provides that information. Under such pressure, I might add. Again, not sure the purpose. Um, the sound of the siren disappears, and the 911 operator tells her they may have cut them off because they're so close by. But she reassures her that they are there. Mrs. Picard doesn't see them and begs them to hurry. She isn't able to see anymore. She doesn't hear anyone coming in. The 911 operator says she's not sure what they're doing, but their main concern is getting to her. At 17 minutes, the electricity is cut, and the 911 operator assures her that that's what they have to do to make sure the home doesn't explode and make sure the fire doesn't get worse and make sure none of the firefighters are electrocuted. Mrs. Picard says, very sadly, kind of defeated, they know I'm in here, right? Again, she's reassured. At this point, you begin to hear flames. We're about 18 minutes into the call and you can hear crackling in the background. At 18 minutes and 37 seconds, she informs the operator that it's really starting to get hot. now 19 minutes in and the 911 operator says she's going to have a supervisor contact the firefighters to get someone in there to her there's silence before mrs picard asks if the supervisor is called the operator said that her supervisor did not call and will not be calling because there's people on the scene she was just going to call if no one was in there quickly so firefighters are there Mrs. Picard is in the home. She's trapped. The dispatcher knows, but there has been no one inside to get her yet. There's no signs of any attempts to get her. Things are getting pretty serious at this point. Shortly after explaining that, Mrs. Picard chimes in and says she sees fire now. The flames are loud enough that you can hear it in the 911 call. Sounds like the residence is beginning to creak and might be even on the verge of collapse. At 19 minutes and 40 seconds, she cries out, I'm in here. It's not clear whether she was calling out to someone specifically or just desperately trying to get someone's attention. She screams that it's getting hot. And at 19 minutes and 48 seconds, there is an agonizing scream. Guttural would be the best word for it. The operator, for some reason, tries to ask for her husband's name, whether it's to calm her, if she just thinks she's panicking, or what. But you can hear Mrs. Picard say, in between the screams, that she is burning. The operator says, are the flames getting near you? She screams again, I'm on fire. After a few wordless screams, the operator repeats herself. The screams start to turn into moans, which go silent at 20 minutes and 32 seconds in. The phone call goes for another nine minutes. You can hear the flames, the crackling, and the operator saying over and over again, Ma'am, I'm still here. There is what sounds to be like a cell phone vibrating, whether it's the 911 operator's or Mrs. Picard's is anyone's guess. Mrs. Picard died in that home on the phone with 911 mere feet from the front door 
Now there is a whole other side to this situation, and that's the side of the Polk County Fire Department. I was able to find the traffic audio on a website called statter911.com between the dispatcher, the firefighters, and somebody else. I'm not sure if it was the chief. I believe it was the um, incident commander at that point, which was a captain, if I recall. I don't have names or anything like that. Um, At the beginning of the call, you can hear dispatch say, there is somebody trapped in the structure. That is all the information we have. At some point, it was kind of quiet. It was A lot of it was a lot of mumbling, and it was kind of hard to decipher on my end. It sounded like somebody said, my computer's down. Can you give me more information? There are reports out there that um, the commander, uh, the incident commander's computer was down, and he was not able to get notes from the 911 dispatcher that was on the line with Mrs. Picard at that time. In looking at the logs... It shows that the 911 operator that was on the phone call with her did give all the information that Mrs. Picard gave to her, but that computer was down and he was only able to get information through the radio through the 911 dispatcher, which is different from the the 911 operator. It's confusing. Um, But it turns out that it did take 16 minutes for fire trucks to arrive. The cabin was in the country, so that's not totally unheard of. Um, The logs of the incident do not show if anyone entered the home at all to attempt a rescue. So, uh, yeah, there's this part's really disturbing and really freaks me out. The incident commander, who was a captain, decided at that moment, while the fire is blazing, the home's falling apart, He's going to Snapchat it. He's going to take a picture of it and send it to a female friend. It's unknown if Mrs. Picard was still alive at that point. If she was, may God have mercy on that dude's soul. He only got suspended for 24 hours without pay. He did end up resigning later on, probably under pressure. And also the Polk County Fire Chief retired the day after the Polk County Board admitted that mistakes were made and rules were broken on the night of Mrs. Picard's death. Of course, as always when anything like this happens, there's promises to change. But that's a little too late for the Picard family. And the family, of course, sued, rightfully so, and they ended up getting a $200,000 settlement. So that's kind of where the story ends. Um, It's kind of an abrupt ending, but part of why this story itself I think disturbs me so much is this can happen to anybody I live on a second floor of a home if there was a fire I likely would not be able to get out unless I threw myself out a window that being said my window is only goes up so far because it's pretty much stuck I would likely perish in the same manner that Mrs. Picard would. That scares the crap out of me. She suffered. She was so brave and so much braver than I would be and she suffered and you could hear it and that terrifies me. So I'm going to draw this to a close. (laughs) I'm exhausted guys. This this whole episode has really exhausted me. I'm going to go to bed after this. Um 
next week I'm going to be doing a palate cleanser episode. What that means is I, I need to do something happy, something funny, something goofy. I don't want to do a sad story next week because the last two were pretty rough and they've kind of stuck with me and I need to wash that juju off for a week and then I'll come back to the stories but I'm probably going to be doing this every couple weeks just to kind of make sure that I don't burn out and I'm able to produce more episodes for you all and thank you for sticking it out with me I know this one was rough and it was long but I appreciate you sticking it out with me so let's close this down I I need to go sleep I'm pooped y'all so in closing as usual if you have any corrections any updates or suggestions lay them on me you can find me on twitter at coffincast again that's coffincast with a capital C just one capital C not both just one Um, I will be sure to credit you in a future episode with those updates or corrections. Please rate, subscribe, and tell your friends if you enjoyed this. Even if you didn't. Even if you thought it was stupid and you just laughed the whole time because I sounded like a moron. No publicity is bad publicity, right? So, with that, I'm going to bed, y'all. I've said y'all more than I have in my entire life in this episode. I apologize. My inner Texan's coming out. I need to stop. But once again, thank you for listening to CoffinCast. I'm Kristen. And remember, life is a dream walking, but death, death is going home. Mm-hmm.